Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartRadio. You can sell marijuana. You can sell edibles. Correct. Can you do infusions or? We couldn't do infusions. All edibles had to be prepackaged. Got it. Everything has to be prepackaged. Honey sticks, you can't because it's a measured dose, right? Honey sticks, yes. It sounds to me pretty straight up like a normal restaurant, except you can you know, get high. It was absolutely a normal setting. Yeah. You know, it was beautiful to be honest with you. (laughs) Hey everyone. Welcome back to Citizen Chef. Today's episode is so exciting because we are talking about a new frontier in fine dining. Not only does today's topic inspire creative new interpretations in the restaurant and hospitality industry, along with a totally different way to experience your food with the side helping of social justice. The pioneers in this field are making sure that there are new pathways to capital, not just for the entrepreneurs, but for all of those who have been wronged by the overregulation in the past. I am talking, of course, about cannabis. And so today we get to talk to two of those pioneers. Chef Andrea Drummer is the woman behind the original Cannabis Cafe in West Hollywood, which is the first cafe that the city licensed to serve cannabis along with its menu. And we're going to talk to her about the process of getting that license and the hurdles that she had to jump through and how exactly you orchestrate pairings so that it feels more like ordering from a sommelier as opposed to a liquor store. We're also going to talk to Senator Kim Jackson of Georgia, who was elected to the state Senate this year. She co-sponsored a bill to amend the state's constitution to legalize recreational consumption, all under the larger mission of criminal justice reform. She helps to remind us that this is about more than just enjoying a nice buzz with our burgers and nachos. So please join me as we get in the weeds, pun absolutely intended, of cannabis and its new role in the restaurant industry. Andrea, how you doing? I've got so many questions to ask you. This is crazy. So you may know New York State legalized cannabis. And the first thing that came to mind was they're allowing cafes. I was like, I got to figure out how to get one of these. This is like, got to do this. And called them some people. You know, it's going to take a few years. I just kind of started kicking around and seeing what was going on out there. And it was really funny because I was shooting season 17 
of Top Chef in Los Angeles. And looking back on it now, it dawned on me that opening night, I drove by, I looked to my left and I was like, what is going on there? What are they giving away at that place? <laughs> and I had no idea what it was. And a few days later, I asked someone, they told me that, oh yeah, it's a cannabis restaurant cafe that just opened up. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was driving by uh, opening day. And, and so, you know, it's one of these things where it happens and you file it away. And then, you know, two years later, it's like, oh, that, that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what that was. What is that thing that you're doing there? This is a place where you can go and unwind, smoke or ingest, eat great food, have a coffee, relax, and, and just chill. And yet, I guess it's a hard path for this to happen. Yeah. So I, this is the first question, like, why did you want to do this? And how long did it take? And what were the hoops and licenses that you had to jump through? I want to learn all of that, partly because I'm thinking of doing it. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> As you should. Interestingly enough, some years ago, I did a consultancy with the James Nomad in Manhattan, and I got them through a CBD menu for an in-room dining experience. And it was going really well, and that got shut down. And this was probably about three, four years ago. Yeah. Fast forward, and here we are in West Hollywood. And what we did was lobby the city of West Hollywood to, you know, permit these licensings for on-site consumption. It was a wild go, but they were very open for that experience for so many reasons, including tourism attraction and just, you know, normalizing the conversation about cannabis consumption and thereby changing other laws. So we did that, lobbied them. And then once they agreed to, to do it, there was a process of submitting your application There are only eight licenses permitted. Of those eight licenses, right? Most of them also offering a high-end dining experience. (laughs) Yeah. Are any of these open? Are any of these actually functioning right now besides yours? Unfortunately, none of them were able to come to bear because of COVID. They were set to come online. I was absolutely looking forward to it, as we all were. Any entity participating in, in this this thing is helpful to the community. Right. So hopefully we'll be able to see those uh, happen, come to fruition in the future. So you had to jump through some hoops just to, to get open. You were allowed to consume on premise, but you couldn't serve food and alcohol where you're consuming. And how, how did you work around that? It was a- <laughs> Absolutely. Work around being the operative words. <laughs> so we kind of had to split the cafe into two entities, one being a food service component and the other being essentially a dispensary. And the way that the cafe was set up, it worked out in our favor. I think in the future, as we delve into these conversations and we get the right people having the conversations, yourself included, to understand, one, you know, we were the first to bring it to bear. And so no one really knew what that looked like. And now that we have a broader scope of what that should look like and how to integrate it into just regular day-to-day life, which is no different than ordering a bottle of wine. I think we could very well communicate that and, and get these policies and these ideals changed about, you know, having to separate the entities and et cetera, et cetera, because it's really just an everyday experience. It's just life. All right. So obviously you're an advocate for cannabis. Were, were you always an advocate for cannabis? I mean, uh, absolutely not. Uh, okay. Absolutely not. Sometimes I feel like hypocrite. But <laughs> I like to couch it under the guise of being reformed. Okay. I was once a prevention counselor. It was the first part of my career. Oh, really? Yeah. And I worked in nonprofit for many years. And my whole spiel was cannabis is the gateway drug. And therefore, you should not consume. You will either end up in prison or on skid row. <laughs> it was 
moving to California and kind of educating myself right. and learning more about cannabis and, you know, not judging it as... Was there one specific aha moment? It was a series of things. At one point, I worked for an advocate who was an attorney and he was, you know, also a consumer. And I thought, oh, this this man is brilliant. We have great conversations. He's going to court and winning his cases. So it can't be that bad, right? And again, there was the, the educational component and understanding the propaganda and how myself, I was used to push that agenda, understanding how the war on drugs led to mass incarceration. And so there was a paradigm shift there. And so I was just kind of open and everything was ripe. Uh, and then switching gears and getting into the culinary industry and how that took a toll on my body and deciding for myself to become a patient. Of, of medical marijuana. Did you start advocating before you became a chef? Were you, were you advocating for cannabis rights? And when, I mean, you touched a little bit on uh, incarceration rates for small infraction like marijuana. Was that something that you were advocating for before you started cooking or did it coincide? In a small capacity, but more or less, it did coincide with the transition of careers. Again, going into the culinary industry and have this having an impact on my body and making the decision for myself to medicate using medicinal cannabis. And then understanding that, you know, I live in a state that's 22 plus years out in legalization for medical marijuana, no less. And I could still lose my livelihood, you know, and, and it did make sense to me. So that's when the work began. You work for my friend, Neil Frazier. Is that right? I did. I did. That was pretty phenomenal. How long into your chef's career were you when this happened? Two years in, I had about sciatica and decided to go the route of infusing food. Mm -hmm. And in 2012, that was that was a turnabout for me. And I've been on my own since. So many people don't understand if legalized marijuana and there's there's greater access. I mean, maybe you can get people off opiates. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the absolute opposite of being the gateway drug. So the, our listeners understand this. You can sell marijuana. You can sell edibles. Correct. Infusions. Can you do infusions or? We couldn't do infusions. All edibles had to be prepackaged. Got it. Everything has to be prepackaged. Um, so you couldn't use like honey sticks and things like that, is it? Honey sticks, yes. Honey sticks you can because it's a measured dose, right? Correct. Yeah. Got it. Now we know why. So let's get into how. Tell us more about the actual experience of visiting the original Cannabis Cafe. It sounds to me pretty straight up like a normal restaurant, except you can, you know, get high. It was absolutely a normal setting, you know, and it was. Yeah. It was beautiful, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's an absolute stunning, just, you know, a cafe that you would walk into in any given city that just happens to have cannabis and had, a, you know, a separate cannabis menu. I'm assuming you got bud tender, someone like a sommelier who's bringing over buds. And, and so there's a lot of education. Mm -hmm. I know whenever I go into a, a store, a part of so much part of the experience is the education part of it. Absolutely. It's more than here. Take a bag and you know go on your way. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And one of the exciting things for me was that we were creating new industry under the umbrella of this cafe. And so, you know, our servers had to be versed as bud tenders as well. And then they, and they as well, they had to learn to be efficient servers. So that comes with new understanding. But yes, they were very efficient in understanding cannabis and had to relay this to the guests. So you have to explain the dosage, explain the different strains and mm -hmm. how it's going to affect you, understand the guest and their preferences and their tolerance level, et cetera. 
Right. And so this is all waiters. It's their responsibility just to, again, like you would sell a, a menu or sell a wine, understand THC levels, understand potency, understand this is going to last long. This is going to, you know, you can get sleepy from this one. This one's going to speed you up. You know, all, all of that information. Absolutely. When you go into a restaurant, you ask about the chicken, you say they'll pour oh, the uh, yeah, chicken, where, right. Exactly. Right. right. So, so you're, you can, you want to know, you know, what, what budgers work and what farm it's from, right? What farm it's from, how it's sourced, how it's grown outdoor, indoor, organic, or otherwise, right. how long the company has been in existence. Yeah, all of those great things. And and it's important for the guests to feel a, a sense of comfort because this is the first thing. This is the first of its kind. And so someone who just got in from Kentucky or drove in from the Bay Area, you know, they want to have a sense of comfort and know that the servers have their back and can explain in depth what the experience may be. Right. And so some of the other screenings were the, the offering seems a little more, I don't say pretentious, just a little more mm-hmm. trying to sell us upscale as opposed to food that is craveable. You know, you get cannabis induced cravings and you want to just, you know, you want food that is, is yummy, delicious and comfortable, but you certainly don't need a kind of crazy upscale, fancy setting. And it sounds like that's what you're providing, a great experience that I think people want. Oh, absolutely. You know, I wanted to create a menu that was just great food, craveable and complimentary of the cannabis experience. (laughs) So, you know, that and a lot of it innovative as well. But, you know, we had vegan nachos, which was one of the most popular menu items, great burgers, but, you know, sourced appropriately, again, matching the experience of cannabis. You know, uh, we use local farmers, local growers. Cannabis users, they care about where the buds are sourced, but do you you get a sense uh, at a deeper level, they care about the environment, they care about how their food is, is produced? Yeah, absolutely. And we're here in California, so you have a lot of purists here. Right. Um, with regards to their consumption of cannabis. Right. And we'll see how that plays out across the nation because we have had the freedom here in California to grow what one might say appropriately or freely, you know, without harming the plant. So I think in due time, we'll have federal legalization where we could exchange product, if you will. And right. Yeah. Across state lines. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, it makes sense to me. This is this is part of the farm to table movement when you, when you think about it. Right. Oh, absolutely. I can't imagine living in a state where we don't have that level of legalization and that freedom to grow and source appropriately. And a great part of my work is to see that happen on a global scale. So you are certainly not the only one. In just a little bit, we'll talk to a senator working to make that reality for many people who are not lucky enough to live in a state like California. But first, I have a few more questions for Chef Andrea about what it's like to be both an advocate and a chef. Also, if you already have the munchies, don't worry. We're going to dig into the food as well. We'll be back with more Citizen Chef. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 
24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back. You're listening to Citizen Chef and I'm Tom Colicchio and we are talking about cannabis regulation in restaurants. Woodwork in California are doing are, are on a federal level right now in terms of lobbying local governments, federal governments. Uh, are you working on that, those issues as well? We have been. We've tried. You know, when I first got into the industry, part of my work was aligning with Drug Policy Alliance and getting Prop 64 passed. We're still making a stink. Unfortunately, you know, we are you know, at the helm of an administration that, you know, spoke about legalization federally on a federal level, but have not really addressed the issues or kind of skirted around it. So I don't know that we, we still have to continue to make noise. And the more people that we get involved in these conversations and to lobby in every city and every place, I think, the more movement, more traction we can make. I think it's coming. I mean, I, I think you can't ignore it. No, absolutely not. No, I mean, I, I love a John Boehner, who was the Speaker of the House, uh, who was dead set against it is now on the board of a cannabis company. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's like... You can feel different ways about the, these things, you know? This is true. Especially as a, as a Black woman in this industry. But, you know, all of it is good movement. Yeah. And when I, when I started out, I was called crazy that I even considered that there could be a cannabis cafe or restaurant. The more we cape up and be more vocal about it and link arms in this movement of global legalization and not just here in this country, but, you know, 2019, we opened the Cannabis Cafe, the first of its kind. So it could happen. And I have hope that it will. Yeah. So it's interesting, though. It sounds like what you're actually asking for could make it where your business isn't as unique anymore. If you're able to smoke openly, you could just step outside any restaurant and, you know, take a few hits and go back inside. If it's that normalized... That normalized means prison reform. That normalized means expungement for people, the true pioneers of this industry. Sure, so sure. that all of that is important. And right. That's all part of it. It's it, right. So your advocacy obviously goes a lot deeper than just making sure a few restaurants can. You know. Absolutely. Current administration has talked about it, although, you know, President Biden didn't run on it when asked. He wasn't opposed, but it wasn't part of his platform. Do you think we'd have to wait till maybe uh, President Harris or uh, sort of the next Democrat, possibly? Or do you think he can possibly get federal adaptation in this administration? When this administration was ushered in, I was hopeful. Conversely, some of the conversations I've heard around it is kind of backpedaled or or to say that we're going to set this aside for now or we're unable to address this thing. I think it may take the next democratic administration. I don't know. Hopefully there's a turnabout. That's not going to stop anyone who's who's making noise and who's doing the work. So, you know, it sounds like uh, the legalization of cannabis on a federal level just needs to be more probably won't be a single voter issue, but it's got to be higher up there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think you're you know going about it the right way where economic imperative. There's also again the the justice, the social justice issue around uh, what you're fighting for, which seems to be even probably more important than the actual cafe itself. Yes. In the restaurant, is there literature about what you're doing on on the other side of it? Are you building out the community of, of full legalization in the restaurant? Is that part of, of the mission? You know, when we first started this and initiate our application, all of those things were written into that, right? But hmm. the reality is, you know, when you get into the restaurant aspect <laughs> of it, <laughs> You, know, you got to figure out a lot of things, you know? Yeah, especially especially the last year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I think now that we kind of got a handle on what it looks like, and I think there could absolutely be a focus on these very specific details. You know, I know one of our goals was hire some, you know, people that had their records expunged or that were reentering the space with nonviolent cannabis infractions, if you will. So a lot of things that can be done. Right. We just we have to figure out, you know, we I mean, we were talking about systems of how to order. So <laughs> how to order food versus cannabis and how to, you know, you know, maintain the letter of the law. So the crazy stuff you have to do <laughs> a lot of workarounds. We were we were create we were like building doors, closing doors, closing entrances. You, know. you had to go outside to go to the restroom. You know, it's a lot of oh, really? yeah, it was a, there was a, a lot of things. But again, you know, we've been in the in the mix in the thick of. So there's a greater understanding. And I also believe like the city of West Hollywood, being able to come there and see what it looks like. And you're not like, you know, envisioning or imagining this thing in your head or thinking that there are people spilling out of the building high and fighting. We had zero physical or violent incidents. Right. That's a tame night in West Hollywood. (laughs) Right. Open a bar and, and, and stake that claim. Let me know how that goes. Right. I drove by almost every day. The cool thing, I kept saying, the place just looks great. I want to go in there. And, you know, I was, I was working most nights, so I, I didn't get a chance. But oh, I wish you had. Next time I am in California, uh, which I'm, I'm not sure where, I have a restaurant there. I haven't been in a while because of COVID, but uh, I will definitely you know, check it out. I want to check out the food. Tell me about food. Tell me, what are you, what are you doing there? I mean, I saw some of the menu. You talked about vegan nachos, you talked about burgers, but what other craveable items are there? I mean, what, what could people expect when they go into the restaurant? Just so our listeners can understand what they're in for when they go to, it's now called the Original Cannabis Cafe. One of the draws was absolutely the brunch menu, pork belly and grits and shakshuka you know, some of, some of the fun menu items, the go-tos, a lot of shared plates. So, I mean, it was a good time. It was a great time to be creative and to think about the farm to table and on both aspects. You know, it was a kind of a, a separate, you know, you, we, we had the kitchen going and then you had the cannabis experience, but to collaborate with the front of the house and do pairings as well. So we, of course, couldn't infuse the food, but we, I could take a menu item and pair it with a new product that was coming out of the dispensary and explain why that pairing works via the flavor profiles and the terpenes. All right. So let's get back into food. <laughs> who, who are some of your culinary uh, heroes when you were in school or thinking about cooking? Who, who did you look up to? You know, I have to say, um, for very reasons, Grant Ackett's uh-huh. hearing his story about uh, tongue cancer and having to use all of your senses to cook. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of gets lost, you know, especially when you're culinary schooler. You taste everything, taste everything. And sometimes, you know, you get in the weeds. Maybe you can't. But for me, having to really, um, and at one point there was like a, a two-year period that I was completely vegan, but I'm cooking for 
constituents that ate lots of meat. (laughs) (laughs) And so having to put that into practice, but just being so in tune with all of your senses when you cook, I think is so important and sometimes get lost with uh, with us. Yeah. I always talk about using your sense of hearing. Oh yeah. yeah, Listening to the sizzle. Yes. You know, you can tell if something's cooking too hard and too fast, if it's sizzling too hard, too fast. And when I teach classes, I often talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next? Do you see another cafe? Can you do multiple cafes? I mean, if there more licenses are granted, I mean, do you see going out of California if you can and doing more in other states? Uh, what's the future for you? One of the things that, that we were able to do is lobby the city of West Hollywood. I think there are other cities, other places that would be interested in in hearing about these ideals. And prior to COVID, I was in communication with one of those cities, um, Palm Springs, and they were interested in bringing something to bear. Mm -hmm. I see no limitations on where this could go. Um, In fact, what we were looking to do is open one of the first cannabis-inspired hotels, boutique hotel, and still want to see that come to bear. Uh, But COVID hit and Investors got a little skittish, understandably. <laughs> but I don't I don't see any uh I don't see any limitations. I and I've always said this from 2012 when I got in the industry. I see cafes, I see restaurants, I see spas, hotels, destination experiences. There was one of the entities was supposed to be like a gaming experience. Huh. I think for as much as you could create or or envision, it could happen. Anything outside of cannabis can happen under the umbrella. Of- right. I mean, what you're talking about is is a lot of these experiences, whether it's spa or whether it's gaming, it can be enhanced by by the experience. Absolutely. It's not just an adjunct. It's not sort of well, you have the experience of going to a spa and then there, you know you can get high too. No, it's actually part of the experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for other chefs that are are looking to do this? Or is it sort of state by state? You got to just figure it out. Of course, it's state by state. But first and foremost, you know, be an advocate, lobby, understand just as any chef has to understand the product and how to source it and what it means to the experience, what it means to have on-site consumption, what what it's going to mean to the city. So be versed in that. Go to the things and and lobby and, and advocate for what you want to see to come to bear in your city and then just be bold enough to execute. <laughs> like, <take no> <laughs> prisoners. I mean, listen, <laughs> here I am like a damn near middle-aged black woman having a conversation with Tom Colicchio. So <laughs> who's an older white dude. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> What's your excuse? You know, I think we can leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> This is, it's been great talking to you. And, and like I said, if I'm in California, I'll definitely come and look you up and uh, would love to, to try your food, either stoned or not. <laughs> um, awesome. But uh, this is a brave new world. It's just, you know, to me, it's fascinating who actually is the first mover here um, and how it happened, because uh, this is not going to be the last day we're going to see cafes. And I, I agree with you. I think there'll, there'll be a time when this is normalized and yeah. it'll be part of the just part of the scenery and part of the experience. Absolutely. Um, so, but it's, it's great to, it's great to be able to talk to the pioneer. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now that we have a sense of what it takes to be bold enough to make waves in the cannabis industry, we're going to come right back with another pioneer working to make the same type of change, but in a different arena. Stick with us. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. 
If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Chef Drummer is such a pioneer in her field, but one thing that was so evident in both our research and in our conversation with her is that reforming the regulation of cannabis is such a larger issue than just allowing it into restaurants. This is especially true when you look at it from a national perspective, since it's not been legalized on a federal level yet. So we wanted to speak to someone on the front lines of fighting for reform in a state where marijuana is still illegal. We are so lucky to get to talk to Senator Kim Jackson, who was elected to the state Senate this year. And one of her first acts was co-sponsoring a resolution paving the way to decriminalize cannabis. She's also been working on the Agriculture and Consumer Affairs Committee to work on the state's practices surrounding hemp and is just an all around great person to talk to about the bigger picture when it comes to cannabis. Hi. We're thrilled to have you. You're already doing so much for the great state of Georgia, and I cannot wait to hear more about why the legalization of cannabis is so important to your platform. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your remarkable career, even outside of being a state senator? I serve Stone Mountain, Clarkson, and Tucker in Georgia. Really great places for those of you who may not be from around these parts. When I'm not working as a senator, which is kind of always, I also am an Episcopal priest, and I have the great privilege of serving a congregation of people who are currently experiencing homelessness in downtown Atlanta. So when it comes to this topic of cannabis, I have a number of reasons why I'm deeply passionate and care about it. But one of the first reasons is because the people who attend my church have often found themselves caught up in a criminal justice system that, quite frankly, was unjust, particularly when it pertains to their use of cannabis. Jackson cites her own work as a priest as the key component in shaping the way she approaches cannabis. In in particular, she notes the benefit of the plant for her constituents experiencing homelessness. My parishioners sleep outside. Many of them are folks who have been trying to find a way to kind of make it through really difficult times in life. And they do things to survive. They do things also to just relax and find themselves just some peace. And quite frankly, marijuana has been one of those sources of relaxation and peace. When you're living in survival mode, just being able to kind of sit back and relax and chill with some folks has been really helpful. And uh, and so I recognize that as a recreational and as a, in some ways as a source of kind of soothing their souls in the midst of a really deeply difficult time in their lives. And so that's been a part of my own story of just watching and being in relationship with these folks who live outside. And as a pastor, that's part of my job too, is to help soothe their soul, right? Like that's really, really part of my work. 
But I also recognize that they use cannabis for recreational purposes and for some soul healing. But also, you know, I serve a district of people who live just outside of Metro Atlanta. We are a majority African-American district. The average age is only 32 in my district. So we are young and we are people of color. And so we enjoy finding ways to recreate with one another. So your argument about cannabis soothing the soul makes so much sense to me. Cannabis is definitely not the first tool people think of when they uh, think of the work as a a senator and a priest. But how do you reconcile people's view of the scripture and your own interpretation? And how does cannabis play into that? Yeah, so I like to remind people that the very first miracle that we have recorded of Jesus is that he goes to a party and he turns water into wine so that they can continue their party. For me, that is an incredible lesson and metaphor for the value of a party and the value of having some enhanced substances that help to enjoy that party, right? And I know some people will listen to this and sound like, hey, this sounds like heresy. But I think that there's real legit evidence within scripture that talks about the use of natural substances, right? Like cannabis is a naturally occurring substance that God helped create, right? And also I'm really clear, and this is some of the work that I do with my parishioners is to talk about, you know, God calls us to live a life of moderation and all things in moderation, right? And so I think that there's really great uh, theological grounding for us being in that place. And, And certainly if we look beyond kind of the traditional Christian religion, there are other many, many examples of the use of psychedelics to help enhance people's spiritual experiences. You know, mushrooms, like those are, those are coming to the world of cooking. Like, let's be clear. There's so, so many traditional religions across this, this country and across the world that have used mushrooms in particular to enhance their relationship with the spirit in the spirit world. So cannabis has never just been about recreation. It's not just about recreation or relaxation. It's also about healing. And I would make the argument as a pastor and a priest that that healing is not just physical, but there is a way in which we're able to connect spiritually in a different way and that that has some spiritual healing aspect to it as well. Restaurants, do they have a role in fighting the stigma against cannabis? One of the reasons why I think that having cannabis in restaurants is important is because it helps us in this process of destigmatizing the use of cannabis. So think about it. You go to a nice restaurant anywhere and they're going to offer you wine to go with your meal because they understand that wine helps to enhance the experience, the flavors. You know, there there's all kinds of thought processes and I'm not a chef, but I do know that there are people who think very intentionally about the pairing of a wine with a particular pasta or a particular meat. And the same thing could be true and should be true as it relates to marijuana and how it's infused in different foods. Uh, so I imagine a world where you go to a nice restaurant and yeah, you're offered wine, but you're also offered cannabis because that's a part of the process of enhancing the experience of the food. And it ultimately will do this work of helping to destigmatize the use of cannabis as a general use that people participate in. Listen, one of my goals with this podcast is is to address the the stigma that comes along with cannabis, uh, especially as we discuss the potential benefits of the plant. You know, you mentioned the hurdles that you're facing in Georgia. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about why these stigmas are in place and, and your goals with the bill that you put forward back in February. 
SR-165 was written by Sheikh Rahman. He is a state senator here. He's actually the only Muslim state senator here in Georgia. And so SR-165 simply creates a pathway for us to begin the process of decriminalizing marijuana. It's a resolution, so it wouldn't be a law, but it, it lays out the legal pathway for us to move in that direction. Now, again, we live in a very red state right now in terms of who's in power. And because of the great stigma, both religious and I think social and racist stigma connected to it, we don't believe that SR-165 will move. But it is a really clear signal to people that that's the direction that we, uh, that Sheikh Rahman and that I am moving in. And I believe that we as a party, as Senate Democrats, are moving towards is the process of decriminalizing marijuana. As this industry literally starts to grow and equate so many people who ended up incarcerated because of a marijuana charge, the irony would be that they're left out of the marijuana business. And, and, and not even that they're getting a license to grow, but that they're allowed to work either in a dispensary or working on a farm or working in the marketing of cannabis, or just being in the cannabis industry. I mean, the irony that's that someone who uh, lost the ability to work because of a cannabis charge can't work in the cannabis industry. It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. So George. Georgia's laws around prohibiting people who have felonies from growing hemp, those are Georgia-specific laws, but the federal regulations also limit if you have a felony drug conviction, you cannot get a license to grow hemp for the 10 years after you finish your sentence. So even on our federal level, so I, I want to encourage people wherever you are in this nation to check your local laws and your federal laws. We are actively discriminating against people who simply want to put their hands in the dirt and grow something that's useful, right? Grow something that is helpful and healing to our souls. And we are saying, no, you can't do it if you have a felony drug conviction and it's less than 10 years since you've had that felony drug conviction. I want to just name, you know, you asked about stigma associated with cannabis. And the reality is it's all rooted in racism. And we have a long trajectory here in the United States of any time we find a people group that is using a substance that is different from what the majority white culture has been using, it suddenly becomes illegal. And that is what has happened with marijuana. And so until we really confront our racist past and the racism that is rooted in these practices, we're not going to be able to overcome them. And I can give you a great example of what that looks like here in Georgia. So I'm sitting on the Agriculture Committee here in Georgia on the Georgia Senate, and we were reviewing our practices for growing cannabis in the hemp form. And we restrict people in Georgia, if you are a convicted felon, for any felony, you cannot grow hemp in Georgia. You cannot receive a license. And I asked during committee, I said, you know, if I wanted to grow corn, can I be a convicted felon? Yes, of course. If I wanted to grow tomatoes, is it okay if I have a felony on my record? Sure. And hemp, let's all be clear, hemp is not something that you can get high from. And I'm like, so hemp is not something you can get high from, but you're still telling me that if I'm a convicted felon, I cannot grow hemp. And the answer was yes, because it's too close to the drug, right? So that's the kind of built-in racism and stigma that we have even in hemp farming. And I'll tell you the amount of like somersaults that we do in Georgia to make sure that our hemp producers are not producing hemp that has higher levels of THC, 
they're extraordinary because it's almost like we have this great fear. And in fact, a former Georgia agriculture commissioner used to refer to hemp as the devil's lettuce. So not only is racism kind of built into this, there's also some real interesting religion and theological understandings around what marijuana is about that's also being built into why currently there's just great stigma around the use of and the growing of cannabis. As we conclude this episode, New York State has just legalized recreational use for marijuana. In the law, there is space for restaurants and cafes. And obviously, New York State is still trying to figure out how that's all going to work. I'm hoping that obviously that when these licenses are given out, that they're keeping people who have been incarcerated for minor marijuana violations. And hopefully that those infractions aren't going to be held against them when it comes time to, to issuing those licenses. Because I think people who parts their you know years of their lives were taken away, especially under a three strike rule or something like that, where uh, at least they could benefit from new regulations because they were put in jail for maybe, you know, having possession of a small amount of marijuana and that ended, you know, they ended up in jail. And, and hopefully when these regulations change, hopefully they can benefit from, from that. Right. So I, I will say, so I am deeply passionate about issues of criminal justice reform and, and decarceration of people, the ending of mass incarceration. It's one of the platforms that I ran on. And before I even became an elected official, that was the activism that I engaged with. And what we know is that there are literally thousands thousands of, and particularly black men, but black women are not, you know, precluded from this as well. But there are thousands and thousands of black folks who are sitting in our prisons today because of silly little convictions over the possession of cannabis. And it's often even small amounts of cannabis. And so part of this work of decriminalizing and destigmatizing the use of cannabis is about helping to set people free. I will say one of the things that I feel very much called to in my life is about helping set people free. Uh, and so if we can decriminalize cannabis, then we can get people out of prison and they can move forward with their lives in, more, in ways that are whole and healthy. I would go further to say that when we decriminalize cannabis, it will open us up to beginning to explore and to think more critically about how we do criminal justice as it relates to drug usage in general. I am of a school of thought that believes that people who are addicted to drugs need treatment, not prison. They need treatment, not jail. I believe that if we can do this work of thinking critically about cannabis, then we can also begin the work of thinking importantly and, and critically about how we do drug treatment broadly and move folks from prison to treatment to freedom. So if you're sitting there wishing you knew how you could help address some of these issues in your local jurisdictions, the senator had some suggestions and what you can do on a national level as well. So I want to encourage folks as they are doing the work of serving as advocates and activists around the legalization of cannabis and lawmakers in particular to give special attention to making sure that we build in equity into the process of being able to farm for cannabis. So when I talk about issues of restricting people from being able to grow cannabis because they have a felony, like that is a form of systemic racism and we have to avoid that. I will say that in all of our talks about policy here in Georgia for whether it's growing hemp or medical marijuana or hopefully ultimately legalized cannabis, our goal is to make sure that we write into it provisions to ensure that Black farmers have access to that work. 
Uh, that's really, really important. And we can't do it accidentally. What we know about these United States, particularly when it comes to introducing kind of new revenues for people to enter into, whether it's license to be able to sell alcohol or a license to be able to grow cannabis, unless we intentionally say that there are provisions to make sure that minority farmers, black farmers in particular, get to have access to those, then accidentally, on purpose, because racism is built into the system, it'll all be white farmers. And we can't have that, right? And so, yes, here's the reality. Black folks have been selling marijuana and making their life work through the selling of marijuana on, you know, kind of underground. And when we legalize it, we have to be careful to not undermine those folks who've made their livelihood from selling it underground. So we need to make sure we have access and avenues for folks who've been selling it currently, who are working as what we kind of colloquially call street pharmacists, making sure that they have safe avenues into the practice of continuing to be able to sell that product in a way that's legal and that supports their livelihood. Thanks again to both Chef Andrea Drummer and Senator Kim Jackson for joining us. I have a feeling this will not be the last time we discuss the intersection of cannabis and food. You know, I get excited about any new innovation in the food world, but it means even more when it so closely is tied to justice for so many. Let's hope that the original Cannabis Cafe is just the beginning of a new wave of cannabis experiences. And with legislators like Senator Jackson, I have no doubt we'll start to see things change. Citizen Chef is executive produced by Christopher Hasiotis, produced by Gabby Collins, and researched by Lillian Holman. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you subscribe to podcasts.